Alleluia. O God, may the empty tomb fill our hearts with your love. Alleluia. Happy Easter, and welcome back to the ESF Midweek Meditation, a place for you to find grounding and rootedness in Jesus Christ for your week, and a place for us to explore the mystics, people who knew intimately the steadfast and sometimes frighteningly lavish love of God, and we'll add a spiritual practice to our toolbox. for this week is Meister Eckhart. Meister Eckhart died in 1328. He was a German mystic and writer. He was a Dominican friar, teacher, and preacher. And he's known as the father of Christian non-dualism, or being able to hold two opposites together from a higher place, or seeing things from place of oneness. The unity of all things is a grounding belief in mysticism. And he pissed off a few of his bishops and a couple popes for being this non-dualistic thinker in a very dualistic, dogmatic Catholic world. He told some hard truths in love and it got him in a little bit of trouble. But he famously penned, if the only prayer you said was thank you, that would be enough. Which, it doesn't sound that radical right now, but think about 1328 Catholic Church and someone saying something radical as the only prayer you need to say is thank you, and that being enough kind of goes against the some of the power and authority of the church. So, one of my favorite Meister Eckhart sayings is this. He says, Nothing in all creation is so like God as stillness. Nothing in creation is so like God as stillness. And so our scripture for the week is Psalm 46, verse 10, which is, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Our practice is to begin to see things non-dualistically. To do this, non-dualism patterns objectional awareness of being alert, but being responsive instead of reactionary. Mysticism is at its heart non-dualistic because of the experience of the divine that one has is to experience the radical unity that that God has 
with God's creation. And we experience that with others. So for example, when theologians and preachers say God is like this, like say for instance, wrathful, and the other says, no, 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 God is more like a court judge. Well, the mystic would offer, the non-dualistic thinker would offer a third way, a third door. In fact, it's not good versus evil. It's not the God versus the devil. It's not a God that is one way. It's a God that is three, the Trinity. In fact, God is non-dual. Funny story, not long ago at the Winston-Salem Pride Festival, I saw a t-shirt that says, that said, I met God, they're trans y'all. And it made me laugh because it was so non-dualistic in its thinking. And that's one thing I love about the LGBTQ community is that some of those rough edges have been kind of worn away and maybe have experienced God in a different way. And I love that. One that we hear more and more in evangelicalism is pointing out sin and blaming. One dualistic thinking way that we hear is to believe that we or some are separate from God and cannot know God until we are saved and some are in is dualism at its, at its worst. Blaming sin for COVID-19 is duality because it means either you're a sinner or you're a saint. And if you get it, you must have done something to have brought this on yourself or on your family. And that's just dualism at its absolute worst. That some are in and some are out is, in fact, not even gospel truth. For example, let's look at Jesus. Jesus actually made it a point to include the people that society said were out. So it, it, was, it was the society at the time that was saying, you, you're unclean, you have to be over there. And who did Jesus gravitate towards? The ones who people said were out. Jesus often took the third door when things looked black or white. Oh, and by the way, when, when we talk about Jesus taking the third door, sometimes we think about nonviolence. And that either you can fight back or you can ignore. Uh, and Jesus says, no, the way of peace is offering the other side of your face, turning the cheek. It's offering an insult back by, by offering up a way of nonviolence. And that is a third way. Jesus often said, you've heard it said, but I say unto you, and then flips things on its head. For instance, in Mark 12, some Pharisees try to trap Jesus and they bring him a coin and they say, well, what, what should we do about this um, poll tax? What should we do about this tax? And, and they were trying to trap him. And Jesus says, well, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Or John 8, they try and trap Jesus um, by bringing him a woman caught in adultery. And they say, should should this person live or should we stone her to death? Jesus says, let you who is without sin cast the first stone. And when they all one by one drop their rocks, Jesus bends down and just begins to write in the sand. And he looks up in this kind of funny moment and, and 
looks around and says to the woman, where'd everybody go? Which, oh, come on, Jesus, you know. She says, are you going to condemn me too? And he says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and live a life without sin. That is, don't let anything get in between you and the love that you've been shown. Don't let anything get in between you and your relationship with God. Uh, Mark 10 is the story of blind Bartimaeus. And they're walking along and he's hollering out and people are trying to silence him. And the Pharisees say, well, hey, Jesus, who sinned this guy or his parents that he should be born blind? Jesus takes the third door. He heals him. Or take the parables, um, any of them really. But two in particular are Luke 10 and Luke 15. The Good Samaritan in Luke 10 is a story about a man who is walking down a road, who gets beaten and is left for dead, lying naked in a ditch. And two people pass by. They're religious leaders of the time, and because of purity laws, they couldn't touch him. So they pass by on the other side. And then the penny drops. Jesus says, a Samaritan walks by. And everybody in the room would have been like, oh, well, these are people that we disagree with, that we hate. Um, and so we know where this is going. Like, this is, this is going to be the guy that, you know, does the wrong thing. And there'll be some other character that is our hero. But no, Jesus flips it on his head. The Samaritan is the one who helps. And he says, who in the story should you be like? And they had to answer, uh, we have to be like this least likely person that we would want to emulate these people that we hate and says, that's what you should do. And you should be lavish about it. That you should go the extra mile of not just binding the wounds, but supplying for their every need or Luke 15, which is the parable of lost things of lost sheep, lost coin, lost people. And we know it as the parable of the loving father. Or you might know it as the parable of the prodigal son, where clearly this younger son who goes off and who has asked for his inheritance early, which is to say, you're dead to me, dad, who loses everything on whatever the son was doing. And this son, in folks' eyes, clearly would have deserved uh, a stoning, like, like the woman caught in adultery when he returned, or at least public shame, but... This son who did not honor his parents, who broke a, a law, one of the Ten Commandments. He clearly deserved this stoning. He didn't honor his parents. And it sets up this good kids get inheritance, bad kids get stoned. Well, not that kind of stoning, but you know what I mean. And Jesus says, no, the father runs to him. The father puts his cloak on him puts a ring on his finger, throws him a feast, says, my son who has lost is now found. He was dead and is alive. All is forgiven. The son doesn't even get to forgive. He doesn't even get to deliver his well-rehearsed apology and speech to his father, which is to say that God doesn't really care about that part of it. It's God cares about you coming home, about you returning and that all is forgiven. Come back to the feast. So Jesus was non-dualistic. Jesus often took this third door 
And that is a tenet that we can try and emulate, that in order to know the heart of God, to keep Christ at our center, is to begin to see things not as black and white, but through the lens of love as non-dualism. So how do we practice this? Well, Meister Eckhart gives us a clue, and that is through stillness, through contemplation. And I think it should be easy right now for us. I mean, what the hell else have you got going on? Honestly, contemplation is spending time in the stillness that Meister Eckhart talked about. And so we're going to practice that. We're going to practice being in stillness. We're going to practice being non-dualistic, a place where, as Paul says, In Galatians 3.28, there's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. It's to attend to that oneness and unity that we find in Christ. So right now we're going to spend five minutes in a guided meditation. I would invite you to find a comfortable seat, a comfortable chair, find a comfortable position with your feet on the floor or legs crossed, find a comfortable place for your hands in your lap. And I would invite you to slow down and take a few breaths. This is your invitation into the stillness. And because our mind often wanders, jumps to our to-do list, or the things we haven't done list, or just the hamster wheel keeps going and we can't seem to stop it, that's fine. But we might need something to focus on. And, And for Eastern mysticism, this is our breath. For Christian contemplation, usually it's a piece of scripture because we're practicing stillness and because we are human and we breathe. Let's use Psalm 46 verse 10 and I would invite you to say, be still in your mind as you breathe in. Breathe still and exhale and know. Breathe in that I Breathe out, am God. Be still and know that I am God. Repeat that with your breaths in and out and in and out. If you're having monkey mind and your mind is going to those places of to-do lists and anxiety and all of the thousands of thoughts that we have each day, just acknowledge them 
and return to this psalm in your breath. Be still and know that I am God. And now I would invite you to say Amen, Amen. I would invite you to say with me the doxology. It goes like this. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Alleluia. week's midweek meditation and I hope that you will be able to practice this throughout the rest of the week it's simple just breathe find some stillness find five minutes and say be still and know that I am God and I hope that God will meet you in that stillness because that as Cynthia Bourgeau has said God's first language is silence as Meister Eckhart has said, nothing in all creation is so like God as stillness. Be still, be well, and grace and peace on you, my friends. <laughs>